We're going to go for it. And we're, let's do it. We're doing peace on earth. Anybody need some peace on earth? Yes. Peace, Jesus says, I give to you. Not peace as the world brings, but my peace I give to you. The Bible calls it peace that passes understanding. What does that mean? Well, peace means flourishing. Do you know that? Humans think that peace means serenity. It's just serenity. Well, it can be serenity, but the idea of peace and from God's economy is that you flourish. And so when God's peace comes to you and you feel serenity, it means that your emotions are flourishing. That's what it means. You're, you have peace. There's, there's either quietness or you feel life or anything like that. So, but peace is far more than just uh, a feeling or an absence of conflict. It means to rise in every way. That's really what peace means. It's the Hebrew word shalom. So when they would say shalom, they meant may your life rise in every way. May you be blessed in every way. That's what it meant. What a blessing, right? That's why, how can you say, well, shalom, well, I'm blessed with peace. No, it means be blessed in every way. And here's a story from the book of John, a truth from the book of John. Jesus is rising from the dead, so we're in a season where we're celebrating his birth. Not only did the Prince of Peace come when he was born, when he was, uh, when he was born but also Jesus brought peace through his death, through his burial, and through his resurrection. That's how it all gets imparted to us. So John chapter 20, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so it was a Sunday, the disciples are hanging out, and they're locked the doors. Everybody say, they had locked the doors. Uh-huh. And they were afraid. Say that with me. They were afraid. Jesus came and stood among them. <laughs> and he said, peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and he showed them his sides. And the disciples were glad when they saw. And Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Say this with me. He breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. That's right. He said, if you forgive sins, they will be forgiven. If you don't, they will be withheld. Peace through his presence is what we want to talk about. I was going to jump off on that, but I'm going to pull back. <laughs> so here's the deal. We have peace with God through his presence. We have flourishing with God through his presence. So the disciples are all freaked out. They're hiding behind a locked door. They're afraid, right? So they're trying to run away from everything they had been doing for the last whatever period of time. And now they're hiding and they're afraid from everything around them. What the scripture is telling us is that Jesus not only came to give us peace, it tells us that Jesus can go where no one else can go. Jesus wants to bring peace into areas of your life that you have locked away. Uh-huh. You know where they are. Uh, that moldy, dark little room downstairs in the basement of your spirit or your soul that you've kind of closed and no one else can go. No one else even knows it's there. You actually don't even pretend it's there. And you're actually afraid. You're afraid that somebody might find out that there's a part of you that isn't really together. Well, join the party. That's right. That's right. Welcome to the, welcome. It's a dysfunctional family. That's the Christian family. Welcome to the family. His function into our dysfunction is what makes us whole. So the doors were locked. He was there. And they were afraid. Jesus wants to go where no one else can go. He wants to go into areas of your life and arenas of your life where you don't even want to go. All that junk and that butt brokenness and all that baggage that you've been carrying for oh so long, and you know what it is, right? And in Christianity, we don't talk about things like that. 
especially in church, we pretend that we've got it all figured out. Sunday morning is the holy day. We got our face on. We're perfect. How you doing, brother? Bless God. I'm doing fine. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But we all know that isn't true. He wants to go where no one else can go. He wants to go where no doctor, no counselor, no friend, not even you can go. That's what he wants to do. So this peace that Jesus wants to bring to us, this peace that he leaves us is holistic. It's not just spirit. It's emotional and it's your body. It's mind, will, and emotion, and it's also physical. God wants to cause you to rise and to flourish in every way. Jesus is a healer. He is Jehovah Rapha. He heals us spiritually. This is where we all can agree with that. You can get every denomination in, in America, at least the, the orthodox ones, to agree that Jesus heals us spiritually. We can all even agree that most of us who've been born again, or those who have been born again, we can agree that there's an experience within the spiritual world, when you become born again, you experience the miracle. But somehow we think that Jesus can't experience, we can't experience healing and health in our emotions, in our mind, in our soul, that would be that area. Or somehow we believe that we can't experience that in our bodies as well, when Jesus has done it all. He's done it all. It's holistic healing. He's done spirit, soul, and body. You know? I, it's, it's important to understand that. Because if you don't understand that, you can't, you can't know that it belongs to you. Jesus was beaten, not for your sins. Mm -mm. Read your Bible. By his stripes, you're healed. Stripes are for physical healing. Jesus, blood come out of his brow, not for your sins. Uh-uh. Read your Bible for your emotional healing. My soul is poured out unto death. Jesus pressed in, shed his blood to bring healing into the realm of the soul. He sh sh took stripes upon his back and the shredding of his flesh and blood through his flesh in order to bring healing to the physical body. The cross is the only thing that deals with sin. Read your Bible. Judgment didn't come upon the son in the garden. Judgment didn't come upon the son while he was being whipped at the post. Judgment came upon the son on the cross. The judgment of sin was placed upon him on the cross, not in the garden and not at the post. So the question is, theologically, then what is the garden for? And what was the whipping post for? And that's why. You shift the way we think. Shift the way we perceive. Shift the way we live. We need to stop taking this stuff as a religion and we need to start taking it as a reality. And we need to press in and believe that God said what he said and he meant what he meant. And you need to believe and know that it's yours. It's yours. It belongs to you. Like he said to the older brother. This is where most Christians are. We're jealous older brothers. We stand around and fold our, fold our arms. And we're jealous. And what did the father say to the older brother? Everything I have is yours. You're just not aware of it. Everything I have is yours. You just don't know how to ask for it. Or access it. No need to fold your arms and be jealous. No need to fold your arms and be religious. No need to fold your arms and be contemptuous towards others. Everything the Father has is yours. It's yours. Come on. I dare you. Peace through his presence. We have complex, broken, and untapped layers within our lives. For freedom's sake, Christ has made you free. He's called you to be free. He's not called you to be bound. He's called you to be free. We have to be free in who we are. So Jesus wants to bring peace into every dimension of your life. Do you believe that? Yes. 
Say, Jesus wants to bring flourishing and life to every area of my life, including everything behind the locked doors. Uh-huh. Say this. He wants to bring function to my dysfunction. And that's right. Next slide. We don't even know we're dysfunctional. We think we got it all, you know, we don't even know. <laughs> that's, why we, that's what marriage is for. That's, what, that's really, you know, marriage helps you out. Marriage helps you realize you're dysfunctional. Then marriage helps her realize she's dysfunctional. And then when you guys got that figured out, then you have kids, and then your kids make you realize you're dysfunctional. And then you realize these kids are dysfunctional. And it's one big, happy, dysfunctional family. And somehow we expect people to live in peace and harmony. It doesn't work. We need Jesus, man. That's why marriage and raising kids, you've got to have Jesus. Or who are we kidding? <laughs> they were afraid. We have, to be, we have to be honest in our own lives. We have to not only be aware that Jesus wants to go there, we have to come to a level of honesty in our own lives. Most of us approach life out of fear. Come on, don't shout me down. I know, I know. This is get, we're coming right up into the driveway. I'm going to come in and sit on your living room couch, and we're going to have an open discussion here. Most of us live lives of fear. Thoreau said men and women live lives of quiet desperation. Quietly desperate for something better. Quietly desperate for a change. Quietly desperate. They live and die in that arena. Why? Because they're too afraid to move beyond. Afraid to move? We hide who we really are, and we hide from who we really are. Afraid that we don't have what it takes. Anybody with me? We get Christians to hear the call of God. We teach them to see the call of God. But we don't teach them the courage to step into that. We don't teach them practical applications to step into that. If we're telling them about the vision and the purposes of God. And we say, well, if God, if God, well, God, God's God provides. Yeah, that's absolutely true. But he's going to call you beyond yourself. He's going to call you out on the water, man. He's going to call you into your true identity. Gideon's hiding in the rocks, eating little crumbs of grain. Angel shows up and prophetically tells him who he is. He didn't say coward. He said mighty man of valor. He called out who he really was. And Gideon, I'm sure, is looking over his shoulder. Who are you talking to, man? He calls out who you really are. And he made Gideon become who he was. I don't know about you, I'd be going up against an army of like thousands and I've got hundreds. I don't, I don't think I would be betting on me in, the, in those odds. That's what Gideon did. Better yet, no weapons. Well, we say, well, Jesus never wants us to get out in front of him, brother. And if that's the vision of God, then he's going to take care of everything. Yeah, he's going to give you a lantern. He's going to give you a clay pot with a candle in it and a stick. And you're going to be facing chariots with swords and spears and trained army men, and you're nobody, and he's going to tell you, what do I do, Lord? And he's going to say, break the vessel and shout. What? That's how Gideon won. He broke the, he had a jar of clay with a light in it. You know, I, I always love that. So Gideon, did you get a word from the Lord? So the army's waiting. What's the Lord saying? Man, dude, listen, I got it. I got it. Everybody draw close. Come on, come on, keep close. Here's what we're going to do. Wait for it. Okay. Everybody's going to get a clay pot. Okay. And Steve over here, he's going to give you a candle. Okay? Now, what I want you to do <laughs> is I want you to take that candle and I want you to put it in a clay pot and we're going to light it. And we're all going to walk to the top of the hill. And we get up over here, then, then Mary's going to come along. She's going to give everybody a stick. 
And everybody's like, yeah, okay, yeah, then what? Then what? Then when I give the word, we're going to break the vessel and we're going to yell at the enemy, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And the Lord's going to give us, give us the victory. What? This is the, the kid, I mean, this is literally what they did. Crazy, man. God will call you beyond yourself. He'll call you into an area and he'll put you in a position and he'll tell you what's going to happen. And it will seem as if you don't have the provision to do it. It will seem as if you don't have what it takes to do it. Because if you had what it takes, you would not need him. If you had, if you had the ability, you would not need him. Jesus shows up when you don't have it. He provides for you to do. And then the Bible says, once he gives you what you need to do, he says, having done all, now stand. Now stand. And then it tells you, it goes even further. In, in Ephesians, it says, stand in the armor of God. Stand in the power of his might. Go forth in what he provides. They were afraid. The presence of the Lord comes to where you are. The presence of the Lord comes to empower you. We think that the presence of the Lord or the peace of God is relevant to us. It's not. Jesus comes beyond the locked doors, man. He comes. He's beaten on the door. If, you've, if you're in Christ, this is, again, a big lesson for the believer. When you've given your life to Jesus, he starts remodeling the house. That's why a lot of people start leaving church after a while or start leaving the faith after a while or we go to little tickly services for a while until we become dissatisfied because the Holy Spirit is not interested in you staying the same. He's not interested in it. He's not interested in you being a, a, a revised version of you. He's interested in creating the real you. And so he remodels stuff. He starts opening up doors. Hey, what's behind this door, Kevin? What do you got behind it in the store? Oh, you don't want to go in there, Lord. Oh, yeah, no, no, I do, I do. No, come over here. See the kitchen. Let's remodel the kitchen. So then he finishes the kitchen, then he comes back to my locked door. What do you got back here, Kevin? What's going on back here? Oh, no, 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 Lord. Let's go upstairs. And so then he remodels the upstairs. And then he comes back downstairs and he goes, no, seriously, I want to go behind that door. I want to go behind that door. He wants to go behind the door. He, he wants to go beyond the locked doors. He wants to go in there. He already knows what's there anyway. This is for somebody. I don't know what y'all got behind the door. Okay. Maybe I do. I don't know. And whatever's behind it. Come on in, Jesus. That's all right. Afraid to move, afraid from hiding. Jesus shows up even when you're afraid, even when you don't have it all together. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that the power, the purposes, the choice of God upon your life is not predicated upon you? Aren't you glad? Huh. Even when you don't have it all together, God, the Bible says the gifts and the callings of God, he does not change his mind. They're without repentance. If whatever he's given you, he doesn't take it away. He doesn't take it away. No matter what he gives, he never takes it away. In his calling, the, plate, the calling that he puts upon your life, he doesn't change his mind. He never changes. You might change your mind, but he doesn't change his. He never changes his mind about you. Even when you're hiding, fear not, be not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will be with you. I will help you, Isaiah 41 says. Do not be afraid. I will help you. So Jesus came behind the locked door. He came when they were afraid. He stood in their midst. This is important. We have a deist mentality oftentimes in the churches that deists believe that God's out there and deists believe that God's not out there, but maybe he cares, maybe he doesn't. That's a deist mentality. We don't have a deist mentality that God's over there and maybe he's in a good mood today, maybe he's not, maybe he cares, maybe he's busy. That's not the relationship that God has established between him and his people. 
He didn't stand on the other side of the door and shout through the door at him. He didn't go, I wasn't outside. He wasn't on the edge. And he didn't call down from heaven. He came in among them. God with us. Jesus is with us. That's why when he told his disciples, when I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You will never be in an absence of my presence. My presence will be with you forever. Aren't you glad? And that's why the Bible says, therefore, let us draw near with a pure heart, having our conscience sprinkled because we're clean. There should be no guilt and shame. You should have no apprehensions between drawing near. A lot of people don't want to go there because they don't know the Lord. It's all about intimacy. Into me you see. Jesus wants to into you him he see. That's what intimacy is. Let him see into you. Let him see into you. That's why David said, Lord, search me and know me. Search every part of me. Into me, please see. And then Jesus wants you, he wants intimacy with you and he wants you to have intimacy with him. Into me, you see, he would say to you. Know me. Draw near to me. Be in me. That's what the Bible calls in Christ, right? We're in Christ. We're not with Christ. We're in him. In him. It's a, it's a, it's a, the idea and the concept is intimacy. As the Father and I are one. That's what he wants. He wants this oneness. He stood in their midst. He wanted them to see. He wanted them to know. And he wanted them to experience. This is what his presence is for. Say it with me. To see. see. To know. And to experience him. Yeah? We want to be observers. The Bible talks about the, the apostles, Peter and John, said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have felt, we t- declare to you. Peter said, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. He not only wants you to see, he not only wants you to know. Jesus told them, remember. That's what he told them. Remember. Faith is based in remembrance of what he did, but he also wants you to experience him. Once you've experienced him, you don't, there's a difference between knowledge and experiential knowledge. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You can know about driving a car and then you can experience driving a car. They're two completely different things. Can we agree? It's true. Jesus wants experiential knowledge. Once you have experiential knowledge, no one can take that from you. That's what's important. If somebody can talk you into it, they can talk you out of it. But if you could experience God, you can't change it. That's why, why you know, people say, oh, this Christian, he, left the, he, he, he converted to another religion. I'm like, how in the world do you do that? How, how, do you, how do you go from being a believer in Christ and all of a sudden I, I've converted to Buddhism or I've become an atheist? How do, you, how do you do that? Once the word of God and the life of Christ is made in your heart, how can you ever deny him? I didn't say you would struggle, but you can't deny him. You can't deny him. Peter's like, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. When you speak, I come alive. When you speak, I burn. How in the world am I ever going to deny you? Where where else am I going to go? You know, that's the truth. We may not have it all together. Christianity may not have it all together. The, the, The church itself may not have it all together. But we can't deny Christ. Experience a born born again, experience in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of God coming into your life, it transforms you. You are never, ever, ever the same. And that's what he wants. That's exactly what he wants. We emphasize a lot of knowledge within the church. Gnosis is good, but rhema is better. Revealed knowledge is better than knowledge. 
always in God's economy. The presence provides answers to what destroys our lives. Jesus' presence, the things that destroy our lives, what are they? Lack of peace or a lack of an ability to flourish or to thrive. Lack of power in order to do the very things that we're called to do or be. And that results from a lack of purpose. These are the things that destroy our lives. The Bible says where there is no vision, the what? People perish. People will destroy themselves when they have no vision, when they have no God-ordained revelation for their life. Your self-destructive habits are related to your inability to see as heaven sees. Your self-destructive habits are an inability to align with who God says you are and towards the purposes that he has for your life. Where there is no vision, God-given revelation, the people perish. The people are self-destructive. My son was just talking to me in a car, and we, you know, it's really good when, you know, open conversation. You know, I love Elias because he's just gut raw honest. Yeah, he'll blow your hair back sometimes with his honesty, but nonetheless, he's honest. He's straight up, you know, and I love that about him. And so he was just talking to me about uh, Christianity, and, and we were talking about a lot of this stuff, and, and I was just explaining to him that, you know, you've got to have a purpose, and you've got to see as heaven sees. And a lot of times the habits and the things that are formed and what he says is he says sometimes Christianity is presented in such a constrained form. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Don't smoke, drink or chew or hang out with those that do. Right. It's all about externals. Why are you wearing skinny jeans? Why is your hair long? Bless God. You got a little bit too much makeup on there this morning, Sally, don't you? You're not looking holy enough for Jesus. It's not about externals. It's for freedom's sake. He's made you free. He's given you an ability to be free. Now, there's a difference between what is unrighteous within the righteousness of God. There is absolute total liberty. So we were talking about music in particular. And I said, there's nothing wrong about songs about love and romance and things like that. But I said, when it crosses the line into the things that God does not want, like immorality or drug use or, you know, whatever. Now we're in an arena where it's destroying to us. God is not trying to inhibit you. Here's what we think. The devil's like, same lie the devil told uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, God's keeping something from you. Because he knows if you eat that tree, you're going to be like him. And God doesn't want you to be like him. He knows that if you listen to that Jay-Z, you're going to get wise. And he doesn't want you to get wise. No, he doesn't want you to listen to Jay-Z because Jay-Z is singing about things that are destructive to your life. That, that's Why? I'm not picking on Jay-Z this morning, but I'm trying to give you an illustration that maybe some of you can identify with. He's not telling you to do something because he's keeping something from you. He's pointing you to something greater because he wants everything for you. That's what he wants. He wants nothing. He wants to keep nothing from you. He wants everything for you. So God's active work in your life is always trying to bring you into a position that you can be blessed. That's what he's doing. He's not trying to hurt you or inhibit you, you know, he's trying to help you and keep you from things that will destroy you. And there's lots of things that will destroy us. Can we agree? Right? Lots of things. I'm my own worst enemy. That's why I have to be changed. Kevin has to be transformed because Kevin's nature is self-destructive. And so is yours. Just spend a little time with you. Go spend a little me time. Right? Just give it a little bit, of, about three weeks of that, and you're, you're like, people won't even, like, what? It's like crazy. You're going to want to destroy yourself. It's just, it's, it's inevitable. 
And which destruction look like? It looks like more selfishness, greed, all this other stuff. Anything apart from Christ, there's no life attached to it. But it's just really important to understand that he does not want to keep you from anything. He wants to release you. And it's an issue of through the relationship with him going into that. That's what it's all about. We're lazy. We don't like the work because that takes work. Identity formation takes work. Vision for it's much easier to let other people tell you who you are, isn't it? No, come on. It's much easier to allow others to define for you what you are too lazy to define. There's a Twitter right there. That's straight up. That's right out of the oven. That's some fresh baked bread right there. It's much easier for you to allow others to define for you what you are too lazy to define or find out for yourself. Identity, purpose, understanding who we are, wrestling, wrestling, understanding the concept is one thing, but wrestling and positioning yourself into that, that's an entirely different world. Say, how do you know that? Because I've been trying to do it for the last 18 years. I know how hard it is. But you know what I experience? I experience the results of it. I'm not there, but I know what it's like. I live my whole Christian life, other people trying to put me in a jacket that I couldn't fit. You need to be like this, Kevin. You need to be like that, Kevin. You need to be like this, Kevin. That's why I don't want anything to do with ministry. I can't be like you. I'm not like you. Jacket was too small. And Jesus is like, I'm not expecting. But you know what the Lord says? I'm not expecting you to be like them. I'm not expecting you to be a clone and follow a denominational line and all these other things. I'm not expecting that of you. I'm like, well, then what do you want? I want you to be you. I want you to discover who I've made you. And it affects every part of me. It affects every part of me. If you've been with this church, some of y'all have been with the church for a long time. Victor's one of them. Tom's been here a long time too. Wow. Victor's been here from when we were downtown. Victor's like, man, your teaching has just progressed over the years. I'm like, yeah. Because God has transformed me. He's freeing the image in the stone. They asked Michelangelo when he carves, when he, makes a, when he makes a carving. They asked him, they said, do you come at this block of stone? And do you come up with, what, how, do you, how do you create these sculptures, Michelangelo? And you know what he said? I listen to the stone and I free the image that's in the stone. There's something for you to chew on too. Jesus is freeing the image in the stone. He's seeing you in your raw form and his desire is to release who you are. We're a bunch of clones, man. I was with a church everywhere wore khaki pants and polo shirts. Standard uniform. Standard. If you're in ministry, khaki pants and a polo shirt. Khaki pants and a polo shirt. You could tell all the pastors because all the pastors are walking around in khaki shirts and a polo shirt. The church I was before with that, everybody had like Armani on. Everybody's got an Armani suit on. If you ever somebody in there was had a blinging suit on, you knew they were in the ministry. That was their that was their their uniform. And their attitudes, their words, their actions were all the same. Everything was the same. And I could I didn't fit there, and I didn't fit there. So where do I fit? I don't know. I fit and then God showed me in David, they were all outcasts. David ran with the outcasts. And that's the place God honored. He didn't he didn't run with the clones. I'm nothing against clones. So if you like clones, I'm nothing against clone wars. Nothing but that, you know. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, I don't know why I'm sharing this. There's some, some somebody's here this is for. 
God's not interested in everything necessarily being branded. He's okay with uniqueness. He's okay with uniqueness. He's okay with it. And guess what? You're unique. You are not like everybody else. You're not. You're like, I knew it. I knew I wasn't like everybody else. I knew it. You're not. You are. We're the same in a lot of ways. But there's a uniqueness and a uniqueness of an expression and a uniqueness of a power that you possess that no one else on this earth does. There's no one like you. There's no one ever been like you, nor will there ever be anyone like you. We do a thing, an assessment here. Sometimes we do strength finders. And the, 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 um, the data behind strength finders is that when you find out the person's top 10 strengths in the, in the specific order that they're in, literally the, uh, the data is that there's never, it's, it's an impossibility for anyone to be like you. It's impossible. Absolutely impossible. There's never been anyone like you. There never will be anyone like you. So why are we all trying to be like each other? We should be unified in our faith. I'm not saying that. But there's a creativity, there's an expressiveness, there's, a, there's something about you that's uniquely different. And he's not trying to suppress you, he's trying to realign you. He's not trying to take something from you, he's trying to position you to give more to you. He wants you to flourish. That's what peace is. Peace is flourishing. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to rise. He himself is our peace and he made peace with us and reconciled us into one body through the cross, thereby killing off the hostility. What did he kill off? He killed off the hostility. Hostility where? Hostility between you and God, God and you. Right? Anybody ever been hostile towards God? You ever been mad at God? Come on. We're in church. It's okay. Jesus is here. We can be honest. We've been angry at God before we were believers. We've been angry with God after they're believers. But there's no reason for hostility because God wants you to flourish. Why are you angry? There's no reason to be mad. What he does for one, he'll do for another. There's no respecter of persons. That's what your Bible says. It may not be what religion is telling you, but that's what your Bible says. He's no respecter of persons. He's reconciled. He's killed off the hostility between you and you. Huh? Come on. Come on. Come on. We're, we don't like ourselves. We don't like ourselves. Psychologists call it poor self-image or self-destructive patterns that we bring into our own life out of guilt, shame, animosity, whatever it may be, damage, He's, there's, no, there's nothing there. Hostility leaves. Jesus loves me, therefore, I, why, why would I not love me? Because Jesus loves me. You know? Warts and all. He loves you, warts and all. So get happy. He may as well love you because he loves you. He's for you. Start seeing yourself as he sees you. And you'll start liking you. Right? You may not like yourself on Monday morning when you get up and your hair is all kind of cocked over to the side. But then you realize Jesus loves me and you start seeing yourself in relationship to who you are and you start, everything starts changing. My daughter was telling me about work and she was saying, you know, dad, I've been worshiping and praying and when I go to work and she's like, and the day goes really, really easy. And then she came home the other day and she's like, I had the worst day I've ever had since I've been there. And I go, did you worship and pray? And she goes, no. And I'm like, you see the difference? You know, and that's, and look, we're not, all, we, we can't bat a thousand, but let's at least get into the higher averages. The point is, is that there's a difference between that and what, with him and without him. Jesus is Lord. He is not judge. Say that with me. Jesus, Jesus. is my Lord. He is not my judge. You're not judged on your sins. You're not judged on your faults. You're judged on your commitment to him. We go before a seat of reward, not a seat of judgment. He comes to give you life, not death. He comes to give you hope, not despair. He comes to move you forward, not backwards. Huh? 
He comes to move you. Say it with me. Jesus comes to move me forward, not backwards. He is not satisfied when I get stuck in a moment. Some people are stuck in 1989. Or 1994, something happened to you, something, just something, something impacted you, you made a decision, whatever, and you've been stuck in a moment for the last 20 years, or 15 years, or five years. He's coming to move you beyond the moments that we get stuck in. He wants you to take his presence, his peace, and his power and bring glory to the world like he did. The peace that God gives us is God, with, 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 with him, with ourselves, and with others. Every area that we are lost in, Every area where you don't have a clue, Jesus has come to bless you. Oh, there's a good one. Say it with me. Every area where I don't have a clue, Jesus has come to bless you. <laughs> it's true. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ. There should be no prejudices among the believer because the love of God is in our heart. Get in the spirit and you love everybody. You may not love anybody when you're, in the, when you're not in the spirit, but when you're in the spirit, you love everybody. Peace, is in, peace, is a, in peace and flourishing or peace and blessing is a gift. It has to be received. We think everything happens by default. I call it Shazam Christianity. We receive Jesus and Shazam, everything just works out from the rest of the, from that time forward. <laughs> it's all going to work out now. No, you have to partner. You have to partner. You have to receive it. You have to allow it. That's how it works. To all received him, to them he gave the power. You have to receive it. You have to partner. You have to position yourself into the blessing. It's not a spectator sport. He gives us power with a purpose. Jesus again says, I peace I give to you. And as the Father sends me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So what is Jesus saying here? He wants us to take his presence, his peace, and his power in everything, we're to receive God's peace, we're to operate from God's power, and in everything that we do, we're to bring glory to Him in our world. We're to bring glory. Carmen was saying that everybody at work always asks her why she's smiling all the time. And I told her, you're bringing glory to that workplace. You know, and people come to you for advice all the time too, not just because she's in HR. And I told her, I said, well, there's your calling. I said, your workplace may become your little, you know, you just kind of give them, you, you start counseling them without actually giving them verses, you know. You ever thought about forgiving that person? <laughs> Next slide. His presence becomes the anchor point of everything we are and do. So when your life's out of balance, everybody say with me. When my life is being tossed in a sea, I need to anchor in God's presence. His presence. And his presence, ladies and gentlemen, is not just sitting in a chair. His presence is experiential by the Spirit. Do we understand that? Understand that? So we go, we're just going to get in God's presence. Okay, Lord, I'm in His presence. No, it's an experientialness of His presence. It's a worship. It's a receiving. It's letting the Holy Spirit begin to move in you and on you. We understand that? We with it? We clicking? His presence so that through that we can flourish and have peace in everything you do. His presence empowers you to do what you cannot that's the purpose of his presence. I'm going to reinforce this truth. Say this with me. Everything Jesus tells me to do is impossible. But he provides the power to do what I cannot do. Everything he tells you is impossible. This is liberating. 
forgive, can't do it. Well, there's power in the spirit to forgive. Love your wife, can't do it. There's power in the spirit to do it. Honor your husband, can't do it. There's power in the spirit to do it. Keep yourself from killing your kids. No, you can't do it. There's power in the spirit. God gives you the ability to do it. How about this one? Work as Christ, work as unto the Lord. Huh? Uh, Yeah. Huh? We work as unto the Lord. There's no power to do that. But in his presence, we have that ability. Serve. Think not of yourself. How is that possible? In the spirit. Understand everything he tells you to do. You can't do it. You can't do it. That's the whole point. That's why he told them, if you don't forgive sins, they won't be forgiven. But that's why he gave them that little passage on forgiveness, because he was illustrating the need for his presence. He said, because they were to ask the question, well, how in the world am I supposed to forgive everybody? Peter really struggled with that. If my brother sins against me, how long should I sin? How many times should I forgive him? Up to seven? Wow, Peter, you're really being generous here, man. You're really going out. Because their rabbis taught him you only were allowed to forgive three times. So if I sinned against you three times, you didn't have to forgive me anymore. Not in the Old Testament, but that's the dogma that they were taught. And so Peter was going to go a little bit further than the, than the rabbis. I'll go further than the rabbis. The rabbis say three times, Lord, I'll go seven. Jesus is like, really? How about 70 times seven? Let's go there. You need his power. We need his purpose. We need his presence. When in doubt, does what I'm about to do bring him glory? This is the question. Here it is. Here's how you honor the Lord with his power and his purpose. What I'm about to do, will this bring God glory? Here's another one. What I'm about to say, will that bring God glory? Huh? This email that I'm about to send, this Facebook post that I'm about to make, will this bring God glory? What I'm about to do and what I'm not going to do. Because sometimes there's sin of commission and there's sin of omission. There's the things that you do and there's the things that you don't do. What I'm not going to do, will that bring God glory? What my will is set upon to not do, will that bring God glory? What my will is set upon to do, will that bring God glory? That's your, that's your compass. And if you say the answer to that is no, then you need the power to do the thing that God is telling you to do. We're not to be ruled by our flesh, but by our spirit. Your flesh has a will, does it not? Right? You have a will. That's another story. Power to do and to will is available in the spirit. His purpose is dynamic building. So God's purposes are built out over time. I don't have time to get into this. He who is faithful in what is least will be faithful in much. If you want your life to grow, you've got to learn to become faithful in the little things. If you can't run with a footman, how will you contend with the horses? God's purposes are built up in layers and layers of faithfulness and obedience practiced over time with his presence. Next slide. Last slide. So here's the takeaway. This is takeaway points, right? So here's what we're going to take away from this today. It's already done. You don't have to do the heavy lifting. That's the good news. Jesus has already done it. He calls you into what you can't do, and he provides the power by which to do it. So how do you do it? You begin to partner with his presence, people. This is huge. Huge. Lord is looking for worshipers who worship him in, come on, help me out, spirit and in truth. The peace and the power that comes through his presence enables you to perform in and through his purpose. God gives you a purpose. His presence provides the power for you to do the thing that he has set before you to do. And it provides peace. Shalom. The need for life, the need for power, the need for courage, the need for wisdom, the need for hope. Everything that we have need of is in his presence. In his presence. 
If you're hopelessness, it's in the spirit. Is hope. If you need wisdom, it's in the spirit. There's wisdom. In the spirit, there's power. In the spirit, there's courage. Everything you have need of is already provided for you in the spirit. Ephesians chapter 1. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been made available to us in Christ Jesus in heavenly realms. Presence provides peace. Presence provides flourishing. And that brings all things. Do you believe that? Yeah? You guys are quiet this morning. It's really quiet. It's very hushful in here. Come on. Just say this with me. Say, Jesus, I open to you every locked door of my soul, of my will, and of the patterns by which I think. I open these doors to you, Lord. Even if I don't know they're locked, I give you permission to access every part of me. I give you permission to change everything about me that I might become who you've created me to be. Because I believe by faith that your plans for me are greater than my plans for myself. And I believe that your identity is greater than any identity anyone else could give me. Let me bless you. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. Come on, receive it. May the Lord cause His face, His face is favor, and His face shines down upon you. May the Lord cause His face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. And forever may you live within His favor in Jesus' name. God loves you.